everywhere you go. Refreshes without filling. Why? You carry the fun with you. I never cease to wonder at the many ways scientists have learned to improve on nature. To think just what that means. Of course, it means many things. Each one is a masterpiece of design and beauty. But first, here is your announcement. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brummy Podcast. Joining me today as always, Mr. Keith Bloomfield. Mr. Lee Price is also in attendance. And returning is Mr. Matt Level as well. How are we all this fine day of recording? Silence, so not great then. <laughs> Keith, what have you been up to since the last podcast? <laughs> I thought you said Highlanders then, not Islanders. <laughs> it's like, was there a crossover event which I missed? <laughs> Yeah. There'll be a lot of thunderstorms going on all the time. <laughs> it's... I mean, they they have a massive passive aggressive streak if you leave them for more than a week. I've noticed, and especially if you've missed a birthday party. It's one of those games I'm assuming will come to Game Pass at some point in the next like six to twelve months. That's kind of like, do I hedge my bets and buy it now on PC, or do I just wait for it to turn up on Game Pass? I really love. <laughs> yeah, I really love the preview. The only thing that gets me is. You can blatantly tell the writing staff of this game think they're much more intelligent than anybody who's actually playing it. <laughs> That's how all games should start. Is that very similar to how the first Discworld game, Point and Click Adventure, started, if I remember correctly? That you were searching for Rincewind's hat for the first hour. 
Yeah. Say, wasn't there an entire, entire flash gaming subgenre just for the dressing people? <laughs> it's probably just the guy who developed Smash Brothers. What's his name? Sakurai. Yeah, he's probably just like, I listened to that and I like it. That's going in. I think Nintendo just let him do what he wants now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because doesn't his wife design the menu system for it or something odd as well? Yeah, I think she's designed every single Smash Brothers menu system since the first game. Which is interesting, weirdly. But yeah. Anyway, Keith, sorry, back to yourself. So, looking for Disco Elysium. Yeah, voiced by the amazing Charles Martineau, a.k.a. Super Mario. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not, not, not that we condone piracy on this show at all. <laughs> Most of those developers are now owned by EA nowadays. It just remembers, always reminds me of the scene from The Lion King when you look over Steve and it's like, look over this vast, glorious parody of game. What's that down there? That's the green light section. We don't go there. <laughs> Weird hentai games and flash games that have been somehow ported across to normal PC games and been charged five quid for the privilege. On your BBC Micro. <laughs> uh, okay. 
Slight segue, what was our first home gaming consoles or PCs, gentlemen? Keith? <laughs> was it tennis? Yeah. Lee, what was your first console that you remember at home? Mm. Did you have the robot and the light gun with your NES? Nice. But every game came with that Nintendo seal of quality on the NES, so you knew it was a quality product. <laughs> How about yourself, Matt? What was your first console? Ooh. Did you turn it into the Tower of Power? With the 32-bit attachment and the Sega CD on the side. <laughs> yeah, my first console was the wood grain classic, the Atari 2600, and we had Centipede. Pac-Man, which was an awful version of Pac-Man, and Missile Command, I think. And then, yeah, but the console I was most fond of in my childhood is probably the Commodore 64 with the RAM pack and the tape drive. I remember putting the tape in, going for a walk the dog, have your dinner, come back, game had crashed loading, start again, wait another half an hour. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did you have Daily Thompson's Decathlon, did you, Keith? And you're just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, kids moan about patches nowadays. Try, try waiting half an hour for a tape drive to load after a, after a kind of bad coffee. And then playing 30 seconds of a game and then it crashing... I remember having the Ghostbusters video game 
the one where you drove the car and it sucked the ghost up on the way home. I don't think I ever completed a single level on that game. It was just ridiculously hard. I think it's still in my dad's loft somewhere. I'll have to dig it out and we can have a retro gaming night at some point post-pandemic. I think I've still got some of those old, terrible um, Dot Matrix LCD games as well. Somewhere. Where there's like one game, one game only. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I remember as well, I think every single kid around my age had the, the terrible plastic car with just the steering wheel and you just had like the one bit of road looping forever and you just drove around it. It was like, Tommy, yeah, I think it was Tommy. It's one of those things that I think every single household in the 80s would have had one of those where it was just like, it. the fun had last about 30 seconds, 30 seconds of fun. They just drive back and forth, and you learn the pattern within a minute. And it's just, it, it kind of prepares you for modern life in a desk job. <laughs> just doing the same repetitive task over and over again while staring at a screen. <laughs> anyway, to, to return back from nostalgic video game conversation, Lee, what was your weeks been like since the last recorded? And uh, still enjoying the new PC? Well, not really new now. We've had it a couple of months. <laughs> so for true for activities. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like the first time you have something on an SSD instead of an old mechanical hard drive and like you click something and it opens. You don't... That is the joy of having new 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 technology is always fun. Matt, how about yourself? You been up to anything interesting? Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's basically like the pub experience, but on a boat, virtually. Made locally to us as well over in Twycross. That rare, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's one of those games that I always looked at picking up, but it's like getting four friends in a room together at the same time to play a game. It's, it's getting exceedingly harder nowadays. It's like you think everybody being stuck at home, there'd be more opportunity to say, Are you available? But it's, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's on Game Pass, I think, as well.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more self-crafted stories from random encounters rather than... I mean, we've all had the MMOR experience where, like World of Warcraft, where it's like, go and kill this thing 20 times over to get items. And I always find those kind of MMOs very dull. Yeah, sounds fun. I'll have to check it out. Uh, mostly war work and researching because I finally got round to replacing my Xiaomi Mi Band 4 smartwatch, which I've had for about two to three years now, and the battery lasts about the same length of time as a Mayfly in the middle of a, in the middle of summer. Yeah. It, it kind of just runs out every time I put it on for like more than a couple of hours. So finally got around to replacing it with a new smartwatch. So I've been very much delving into the internet and researching lots and lots of different smartwatches. Which, yes, I have purchased. It was actually very fortuitous because um, a company called Movevoid, they've done smartwatches for quite a while now on Android, but um, they've just released their new TicWatch Pro model which has got the brand new Snapdragon 4100 processor, which is supposed to make it last three days rather than three minutes, like my old one. So I might just pop a review up on the Geeky Boogie website, so keep an eye out for that after I have time to have a proper play with it. It's quite funky, though. It's got two dis- it's got two LCD displays on it. So it has like the AMOLED display, and then it has like a LCD display over the top. So you can like, have it as just looking like a normal watch and then flick over to having the smartwatch underneath it and saves battery life. So, But other than that, pretty much work. A uh, bit of flight simulator. Uh, picked up Watch Dogs 2 when it was free on Epic Game Store. Meh. Meh. Yeah, pretty much. It's like some of the stuff I actually liked about Watch Dogs they took out. Or Watch Dogs 2, and they made it all about oh, getting followers and like oh, it's all crazy internet and stuff. So it's kind of like it feels like it's gone backwards from a narrative point of view. Yeah, the whole point of the first game character was you're not supposed to like him. He's an anti-hero. He's supposed to be a bit of a not nice man. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like the first prototype game. Where everybody hated him, so they made the second game basically kill kill who you played in the first game because nobody likes him. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Other than that. And a bit of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2, which I'm still useless at. And... My my Twitch gaming skills have like gone down the pan over my old age from back in the day when I was playing out on a PlayStation and being quite good. It's, it's not there anymore. Just kick flip into the into the wall every every time nowadays. So it takes a twenty year old game remaster to make you feel old. 
Right, so coming up on the show today, we're going to talk a bit about Tenet versus Mulan, as that's been in the news quite a bit. Uh, we'll be talking about the delay of some of the tentpole MCU stuff that was just released this year. And we've also had lots of PlayStation 5 news, so I'll be handing over to Matt and Lee to talk about that and how it's stacking up versus the Xbox Series X and Series S. Uh, but before that, we have the results of our setting a scene competition. And now I've got to find the poll on the Twitter. Bear with me a moment. So, gents, do you want to recap while I look for the poll? What what the plan was? Keith, explain the competition to people. Lawrence Fishburne does not appreciate you for that picture. Lee, do you want to recap your picture? <laughs> and Matt? And I borrowed a friend, Sam, who's been on the show previously, and borrowed the scene where Neo is facing off against the agents on the rooftop and uses bullet time for the first time. And like back uh, when he's backwards avoiding bullets being fired at him. Again, using a bit of Photoshop to uh, recreate the bullet trails on that one. So in fourth position, unfortunately, was Lee with 4% of the vote. In third position was myself. <laughs> Blame it on the Wii Fit trainer. Nobody likes her in Smash Brothers. That that was your downfall. <laughs> She's a cheat character. <laughs> yeah, in third place was myself with thirteen percent of the vote. In second place was Mr. Bloomfield with Lawrence Fishburne's tubby <laughs> with. 30% of the vote, and that makes Matt the winner with 52% of the vote. <laughs> so you get to pick the film for the next challenge. 
Interesting. Lee's wearing a very appropriate shirt for this moment. <laughs> Lee's wearing a Wayland Utani shirt here. For those, for those listening at home. And Keith's just going to pull out the alien now because Keith has all the toys. Yep, there we go. <laughs> right, so we'll be back in a little bit and we'll talk MCU. And now it's time for that part of the show where we take a look at some of the new comics available in the Geeky Brummy pool list. In the pool list this week we have 2000 AD Prog 2200. 2000 AD has been firing on all cylinders recently with some truly outstanding stories. The quarterly regen issues have been doing great work introducing younger readers to the wonders of Britain's longest running sci-fi comic. This latest issue is another of the semi-regular issues that allow new readers to jump on, featuring the first parts of new stories from a range of creators. Of particular note in this issue is the return of fan favourites Hookjaw, imagine Jaws with scarier and more horrific, and Stickleback by the dynamic duo of Edgington and Disraeli. If you're a lapsed reader or have never picked up a prog before, then this is the perfect issue to keep those thrill suckers away. Also out is X of Swords Creation, issue 1. This is written by Jonathan Hickman and Tinny Howard, with art by Pepe Larraz. Since Hickman took over the X-Titles, there's been some interesting developments in the world of our favourite Merry Mutants. Now, after a year of deaths, resurrections and surprises, the X-Men are embarking on their first multi-title crossover, X of Swords. As this appears to heavily feature the Braddock family, I'm intrigued as to where this story will go and how it will affect the state of Captain Britain. Whilst it's a 22-part story that takes place in standalone issues and every one of the main X titles, I'm hoping I can keep track of what's going on just by reading the titles I currently have on my pull list. Let's see how all this pans out over the coming weeks. Also out now is John Constantine Hellblazer number 10. This is written by Simon Spuria with art by Matthias Bergara. Since John Constantine returned in the Sandman universe, this has been consistently one of the best comics out there. Unfortunately, it's due to end with issue 12, but I hope that people will be picking this comic up and the trade paperback with the hopes that we will see Simon Spuria and John Constantine together again. Over at Dark Horse Comics, we have X-Ray Robot number 2. This is written and drawn by Michael Allred. Uh, And if you don't already know of the wonderful work of Michael Allred, the creator of Madman, you should certainly check out this fantastic new comic from dark horse and coming up shortly we'll have the dreaming waking hours number three by g willow wilson and artist nick robles adventure man number four by matt fraction and artist terry dodson berserker number one from boom studios this is the matt kint keanu reeves comic drawn by alessandro viti from jackson lansing colin kelly and angel hernandez we have star trek year five number 15 from Simon Furman and artist Gudo Goody, we have Transformers 84 Secrets and Lies. Issue 4 is the final part of this epic story. Over at Marvel, we have Ultraman The Rise of Ultraman number 2 by Kyle Higgins, Matt Groom, and Francesco Mana. And the final comic to keep your eyes out for is 
We Only Find Them When They're Dead, number two from Boom Studios. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Simone D. Mayo. This is another fantastic new series, and I wholeheartedly recommend that you seek out this and all of the other comics that I've recommended. And that's it for the latest pull list update. Now back to the main show. Wonder and vision. Aren't we a five pair? This is our home now. I want us to fit in. Oh, this is going to be a gas. Where did you two move from? How long have you been married? And why don't you have children yet? Our story. I think what my wife means to say is that we moved from... Moved from where? Married when? Am I dead? No. Why would you think that? Because you are. We are an unusual couple, you know. Oh, I don't think that was ever in question. So, we've had the WandaVision trailer drop this last few weeks and but also at the same time there's been some news out of the marvel entertainment which means uh, a rather large reshuffle has happened in their production schedule we were due a few movies this year uh, so black widow has been moved back to november the 6th to take the place of the eternals eternals has been moved to february 12th 2021 which was supposed to be shang chi and the legend of the ten rings which is now in July 9th, uh, July 9th 2021, which was Shang-Chi, uh, originally Thor's place. So they've all basically gone back up. All the, all the moves have shuffled down one, basically. Which now means we're not getting the next Thor movie until 2022, or Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, or Black Panther 2 until 2022. Uh, also announced movies that don't have release dates yet are Captain Marvel 2, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and Blade. So, lots of shuffling down the list, and unfortunately, with the passing of Chadwick Boseman, that means it's going to be a long time, and probably some production changes that are going to happen with Black Panther 2. So, um, shall we start off with the WandaVision trailer? Bit of good news. Um, I I really enjoyed it. I think there's a lot of story that they threw in there in the background, which people might not have noticed. And there's a great little nod back to the original costumes in this kind of Pleasantville world that uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision are living in. Uh, seems to be, at the same time, this might lead up to the Multiverse of Madness with Doctor Strange. With what looks like to me, Wanda's created a little pocket universe to bring Vision back to life and they can have their own little idyllic world. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we did get a little... Yeah, I was going to say, we got a little bit of that at the end of Endgame with... Uh, well, Captain Marvel, sorry, wasn't it? With Fury waking up in what looked like a sword base. I mean, we have had a, a sort of non-MCU Marvel movie with new mutants coming out this year, which, mm, yeah, <laughs> it's it's gone down well from what I've <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was expecting the Falcon and Winter Soldier trailer at the same kind of time as WandaVision. It seems to be they're pushing WandaVision first, and then Winter Soldier will probably be a gap fill after that's completed its run. Yeah, midway through production, I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's very much I Love Lucy, yeah, very much I Love Lucy and Bewitched kind of feel for the first part of the trailer. So it seems to be we're spanning multiple decades in one small town in America by the look of it. So it starts off very much in the 50s, and then we get a bit in the 70s, and then it looks like a bit in the 80s, and just moving through the decades. Um and to me, that feels like is it just one? Uh, is it just um, Wanda resetting the universe every time Vision finds out that he's not around anymore? It's it, it's very much. It looks like it's a case of each iteration is seems to be broken by Vision working out that everything's not as it seems around him. And that was very much hinted in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, because if we look at how uh, Wanda's Wanda's life story so far in the MCU, she's lost a brother, then found love again with Vision, and then lost Vision through. 
kind of very cataclysmic circumstances. So I'm assuming that's going to play a lot into this movie about how she's coming to terms with that. And it, it does look very much like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be going on in the background just to kind of fill in where maybe Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would have used to have done that job of filling in the background between the movies. This seems to have like taken over the mantle. Uh, uh, so returning to the movies then. Um, so we're still getting the Black Widow movie coming out this year. I think, uh, as I said, it was uh, November the 6th. I think Black Widow is still apparently supposed to be coming out this year, but it might have changed since I last read the article. Oh, no sense. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Yeah. No. Yeah, and this is the one I'm actually looking most forward to because uh, me and Viv really like a show called Kim's Convenience, which Simu Liu plays the elder brother in. It's on Netflix, really worth watching. Uh, but I really enjoy his acting style, his character in it. He's kind of got this really good balance of comedy and drama to him in the show. And I think if he brings that to Shang-Chi, it's going to be nice. And at the same time, assuming that Disney slash Marvel are banking on this to bring in the Chinese audience that they've been trying to court for the last few years with previous Marvel, like where we saw changes put into Age of Ultron to adding extra bits for the Chinese audience. And Disney, for many years, have been trying to penetrate the Chinese market because it's now the eighth largest cinema market in the world. So I think they're, they're definitely trying to court with this movie. But... It's it's an interesting story to see, and it's he's not a very well known character outside of Marvel comic fan circles. Uh, basically, similar to how Guardians of the Galaxy was before that first came out, and that's been one of the stronger points of the MCU. So I'm hoping that at the same time we're going to get something a bit different with the Shang Chi movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'd have already had Black Widow by now, I think. Original. Hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll bring back Benicio del Toro and Jeff Goldblum to pop up into that shit, that film as well. But, yeah, it it seems to be we're in for a spotty few movies before we get in the the sequels that people are probably really wanting, like the Doctor Strange sequel. Uh, Captain Marvel 2 and Black Panther 2. I think a lot is more riding on those sequels rather than these more origin stories that we're getting. Yeah. 
Ja. Mhm. Ja. Ja. Ja, I mean, I've seen a lot of talk online where people are what pretty much asking that Shuri takes over the mantle. And she has been the Black Panther in the comic at some point, so I mean there is, there is there is a possibility that might, that might be the option. Mm-hmm. It would be, yeah be very interesting to see, and say it's very very shocking to hear of that passing of Chadwick Boseman. I mean, do you think having such a large absence from the MCU is maybe good for it? That we have a big refresher? Because we had a decade, well, over a decade of pretty much constant movie releases, all leading up to what was a massive event. And then we've had a coda with Spider-Man Far From Home. And I think actually having a few, having a year off might help MCU fans a little bit more having a bit of a natural break between the ending of what was the first three phases and going into phase four. I think it's probably probably a good time that they chose to have the break now rather than try and rush the movies out at a time where the cinema audience is not at, at a comfortable stage of where it used to be with social distancing and a pandemic in place. We've always had big periods in Hollywood, so we had periods where it was the historical epic movie, moved on to the Western movies, we had the first run of sci-fi movies kicked off with Star Wars, then there was the big teen teen comedies and the rom-coms of the late 80s, early 90s, and then now, I think, probably that first generation of, well, this, this generation of superhero movies has pretty much 
feels like it's ended now. We've lost the X-Men movies. Well, they kind of died a death with the last movie and New Mutants hasn't performed well at all at the box office. And I think it was never really stood a chance where it's been positioned in the whole era of where it is in that kind of Fox universe. And yeah, maybe cinema audiences are looking for something different going forward. Yeah, I mean, it could be. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely go something like they've done with The Mandalorian, which is take the whole Jedi out of Star Wars and just have a story set in the Star Wars universe, which, again, it's pretty much Lone Wolf and Cub, but I think having that separation of not having it so involved and steeped in the Star Wars Jedi story. I know season two is going to veer back towards that a little bit for Ashoka coming into it. But having that separation, I think, really helped the first series of having a separate story which had nothing to do with, oh, we've got to save the galaxy this time. It was just a very simple plot about rescuing one person from the hands of the Empire rather than having to have the the galaxy's going to explode if this doesn't happen kind of feel to it. 
the VCU, the video game combined universe. <laughs> yeah. What? What, like the Eddie the Eat? Yeah, what like the Eddie the Eagle biopic, but with Mario instead of <laughs> Taron Egerton. <laughs> could could we remake Cool Runnings, but with video game characters? Because I can imagine that, yeah, I can imagine that game has been fully developed, beta tested, and was about to go on stock shelves before the Tokyo Olympics got cancelled. Oh, did it? <laughs> you can play the Olympics that never happened <laughs> right now. I'd love to see something. Uh, there's a Twitter account I follow which highlights all the Jap- Japanese mascots, of which there are like hundreds and thousands. I'd like to see a mascot Olympic Games. They could probably arrange that instead. I think every year for charity, all the football mascots like have a race against each other. So it's basically like, yeah, it's just a charity thing that they do. I mean, that would basically be four guys, though, if we had all the mascots running around Olympic style. (laughs) So... What I think is Among Us, which is also a very popular game, keep your eye on the Geeky River YouTube channel soon about that is, I think that's the Fall Guys, like, future descendants being sent off into space. (laughs) They've got a very similar, like, body structure to themselves. Anyway, to, to return to our point, MCU delays, I personally don't think is a bad thing. At the same time, I am looking a bit forward to WandaVision and having some a different kind of MCU story. So I do miss Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a little bit, so having a serialised show might might be nice again for the MCU. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Uh, Lee is a very happy man, and probably at the same time not very happy unless he's got his pre-order in pretty quick. Uh, because the PlayStation 5 release has finally been announced and pricing and system specifications which weren't available when we last recorded the show as we talked about the Series X and Series S consoles. Now we finally know what's going on and we're up to date with the Xbox versus PlayStation 5 console ruckus. We thought it's probably worth having a recap of both consoles. So I'm going to get let Lee and Matt do most of the discussion on this as they are gaming people and you can find them every Friday on the Geeky Brimley website. But 
Uh, first, I'll uh, I'll just quickly go through some system specifications, which Lee notes is very important, and he loves system specifications. So um, both of them are running Zen two uh, architecture from AMD. Uh, the processors both going to have eight eight core processors. PlayStation five running at three and a half gigahertz, and the Series X running at three point eight gigahertz. Um, Series X has a slightly stronger GPU at 12 teraflops with 52 um, CPUs with the PlayStation 5 having 10.3 teraflops at 36 CUs. Uh, both having 16 gigs of GDDR6, GDDR6 RAM. Uh, the PlayStation 5 has its very specialised custom NVMe SSD which means it's super fast. Uh, whereas the Xbox Series X will be coming with a 1 terabyte custom NVMe SSD which is not as fast. Uh, both are going to support USB 3.2. Both are going to have a 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray drive if you're buying the disc version of the PlayStation 5 or the Series X. And both are saying that they can do 4K at 60 frames per second and up to 120 frames per second and 8K. So it seems a pretty close race from specifications only. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on where you think both consoles are being positioned in the market.
And I think just jumping in there a little bit as well around the Series S, I've heard a very interesting theory because unlike the PlayStation Five, where it's pretty much exactly the same technology inside, lesser disk drive on their two models, the Series S is a lot less powerful than the Series X. However, what I've been reading about is some people are thinking this is a, a guerrilla marketing strategy from Microsoft themselves to push their future xCloud gaming streaming service, where it might be a case of the Series S won't be powerful enough to play later titles down the line to the same quality as the Series X. But if your internet's going to be strong enough and xCloud is a robust enough service at the same time, They'll just say, well, you can just stream directly through xCloud as part of your Game Pass bundle onto your Series S, which means a lot less requirement for processing power as an end unit. And it's a really cheap point of entry, but then it's tied into that xCloud Game Pass service for when the games surpass what we're going to have for the next two or three years, where people learn the technology inside and then you'll get that game development. Because at the moment, all the launch titles are probably capable of being launched on the PlayStation 4 Pro or the Xbox One X without any hassle. It's just having that iterative generation mover. And is the Series S going to be powerful enough to cope later down the line? I can definitely see it being more pictures of streaming box, especially in a year or so, rather than a, as you said, a standalone home console. And I think there's been, a, from what I can see with this launch, is the discless versions are very much pushed towards the first first world where people have strong dedicated internet, which is reliable enough. Whereas the disk drives are going to be very much for people in possibly second world countries who know they're not going to have that internet reliability and they want to have physical media, which means that they can actually play a game without having to be reliant on such a strong internet connection at all times. But at the same time, we're getting massive patches for games, so is that going to be a hindrance at the same time? And the OS will probably take up at least another couple of gig.
Um, that's the Series X, yeah. And I think, as I said, NVMe storage, which is the latest version of hard drives that you'll find in most new PCs, which is very much a very small card where it's all flash-based storage. Uh, I think those, again, going to be your add-on drives. We're used to having physical spinning disks up until this launch. So I think we are going to see massive gains, on you said, on loading times. But at the same time, if every game's moving to be 4K textures, whereas 1080p gaming has been the norm for the past decade, if we are moving to 4K textures, that is a lot of space that you're going to have taken up, especially for new games. I think like the Crisis Remastered game is something like 20 to 30 times larger than the original Crisis game. You just want another guitar hero, Keith.
I still think the technology is not there for VR. I think it's definitely going to be. Everybody just wants it to be the stage of a bit like in the MCU where Tony Stark just puts a pair of glasses on and then he gets the full display pop up. And I think whilst you've still got very clunky and heavy headsets and controllers rather than over haptic gloves, I think it's definitely going to be a few more years until VR gets out of its niche and goes mainstream. One thing that I'm actually quite happy about with this generation of console launches is we're all now using the same underlying technology. Whether you're a PC gamer, whether you're an Xbox gamer, or whether you're a PlayStation 5 gamer. Nintendo's the only one still slightly out there on its own little platform as such using ARM, but everybody else is now using x86-based processors, which is 64-bit, using DDR RAM, using standard NVMe hard drives, using standard GPUs, which means I think there's going to be a great level of consistency in quality of gaming this generation, where we've had not had that in the past with different architecture underneath it, and especially if we look back to the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation 3 generations. This... But that means I think everybody's going to get an upgraded PC gaming experience off the same back of it. So if, if you are building a gaming PC or you are going to game on PC, it's going to be much easier to port your code between the PlayStation 5, the Series X and Series S, and the PC game. And I think, as we mentioned, I think we're all fans of Game Pass here at some point, at least, or we've all used an iteration of it. And I think that's Microsoft's main advantage this time around rather than the library of games. It's like, okay, we haven't got many launch titles, but there's still going to be over a thousand games you can play at launch using Game Pass. And having the news of Bethesda being purchased, or ZeniMax Media, I should say, being purchased by Microsoft, do you think that's going to have a big impact on this generation, gents? I think they announced, they promised that any game that was currently in development 
and already confirmed as multi-platform that they'd honor it. We've, we've had a trailer. <laughs> I, I think my favorite tweet was, yet again, Todd Howard has found a way to sell Skyrim for one last time. <laughs> On top of that, though, we're now in the situation where Microsoft are actually publishing two PlayStation 5 exclusives. Yeah. But I think there has been a bit of a culture change over this generation, because I think back in the 360 versus PS3 days it was it was pretty much seen to be an all-out war between sony and microsoft and no prisoners were taken and it was a case of if you if you're one you're definitely not in the other camp and nintendo were off eating a pot of glue in the corner as they want to do whilst these two kids were having a fight in the in the playground but i think xbox are trying their best to be conciliatory from their the way their PR acts now, it's a case of, look, we all just want to play games. And if Sony comes to the table, especially with cross-play, then it's going to be a much better experience for everyone and not just Xbox or PC gamers. It'll be an experience that everybody can get involved with. Whereas Sony seemed to be a bit more reluctant to be sharing The monolith, you mean?
As I say, I've seen I've seen a fair few memes of it like being replacing the monolith from two thousand one of Space Odyssey and just having the PlayStation Five <laughs> in space with it. And it is it is a bit of a hefty beast, isn't it? And I, I'm assuming it's not going to be quiet as well. Because Yeah. Yeah, because I've noticed from the renders that we've seen, there is a lot of ventilation on it. I mean, we've all taken the P out of the Series S with its its very much Bose speaker style big vent on the top of it. And we've got the Series X refrigerator edition with its with its big holes on the top. But I'm assuming the PlayStation 5 might be a noisier console just because of how they've designed it for like exhaust. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think this is just a big conspiracy by gaming headset manufacturers. And it's like, we'll make the consoles loud so they'll have to buy headphones to play at the same time so they can hear anything going on. It's just all a giant conspiracy by peripheral manufacturers. The world is controlled by Mad Cat. <laughs> you need a 7.1 surround sound headset with a microphone out of a Tomy speaker. <laughs> but um, I, I, I pretty much know our choices, but Lee, you're definitely going to go PlayStation 5 first, I'm assuming. Mate. <laughs> would, would you consider a Series S or a Series X as your second console? Yeah. True. Matt, how about yourself? Are you going to go PlayStation or Xbox? Yeah. Would you consider a Series X or a Series S on the side? Keith, yourself? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, personally for me, as an Xbox One X owner, I don't see any reason at all for an upgrade for at least 12 to 24 months. So I don't think there'll be any kind of Xbox Series S or Series X games with exclusivity that I'm going to miss out on in any way, shape or form at all. I don't think there's any kind of draw for me. But if it's my first console, and if I was in the current position where I was looking for a first console, I'd possibly consider the Series S as well. If if it's your first console or you're buying it for a teenager and you want ease of access in, the PlayStation 5, even the discless version, is still quite a significant purchase. And having that subscription model for a Series S, it, it's a very good deal. And I think Microsoft have pitched that very well. I think a lot of people who will buy the Series X will just want to buy it because they want the latest console rather than over having it. Saying that at the same time, I am quite tempted by a PlayStation 5 just so I can catch up on those PlayStation 4 titles that I've not ever got around to playing. I mean, but again, not yeah, yeah, true. And at the same time, again, I never buy anything at launch for like video game consoles. I mean, there were massive issues with the PlayStation 3 at launch. And didn't we went through, I think, five or six revisions of the PlayStation 3 before they finally stopped selling that one? Yeah, and I think yeah I think their culture of having the casual console has really helped them retain market share especially in the younger audiences. Because if you think about it, the Switch replaced the DS, the 3DS, and the Wii U at the same time. And although you can buy a 3DS still, I, I, yeah, I don't see as many on when I was getting the bus. You'd see people playing DSs and stuff like that. And you'd see kids with Switches now, or on public transport, or in the back of the car. You'd see kids with Switches because... It's, it's that natural progression of having that handheld console. And I think Nintendo made a very smart move because they've never been about pushing graphics and pushing the fidelity and pushing, oh, look how, look how powerful our console is. It's the most powerful console in the world. It's always been about how can we make our first party games the best kind of game experience we can. Yeah, as you mentioned earlier, Keith, with gimmicks, we've seen the Mario Kart RC cars come out soon. We've had this generation, we had Nintendo Labo. We've had uh, Pokemon Let's Go Eevee and Let's Go Pikachu 
where you can like get pedometers to go alongside it. Same with some. Yeah. I mean, we had what? Yeah, I mean, you had what? Skylanders, which was the big one. And the Disney Infinity sets of now filling up dusty shelves and pound lands across the world. <laughs> but, yeah, I'll be interested to see what our audience think about this. So drop us a tweet or let us know what your preferences on console. Are you going to go PlayStation 5? Are you going to go Xbox, or are you going to look at building a gaming PC, where there's a really useful video on our YouTube channel, which you can see me build a PC as well, and how I chose the parts for it. And also, off the back of that, we've just had the latest NVIDIA GPUs come out, which is the 3080 and 3090 series, which are massively power-hungry beasts, but it's been it's supposed to be pitched as a generational leap with this one. So, as soon as the consoles catch up, PC pulls ahead again. Welcome to the portion of the show where I talk about my Games of the Week. Last week, Game of the Week was BPM, Bullets Per Minute, an FPS which draws heavily from the old school of Doom and Quake, but with a unique twist. All your actions are performed on the beat, creating a wild symphony of death in time with the music, and honestly isn't that what we all want from our games. I've played a little bit of it, and so far it's shaping up to be a lot of raucous action that gets really fun as its unique mechanics get its hooks into you. Game of the Week this week is Going Under, a roguelike dungeon crawler. Normally a genre I walk away from at every opportunity, but this one looks like a unique take on the genre. You have started a new startup company run by monsters, but the building is occupied by the remains of former failed startups that must be cleared out, and you, as the new intern, must do this. This leads to a dungeon crawler through startup mocking locations with weapons including giant pencils, massive staplers, yes, they're projectile weapons, and medicine balls. You also get to meet a colourful cast of characters including a vampire with a sports car called the Hauntrepreneur, and buy power-ups such as avocado toast, described as a delicious alternative to home ownership. Going Under is so full of playfulness and parody that I can't help but enjoy its whole deal. It's Binding of Isaac crossed with the worst job you've ever had. BPM Bullets Per Minute is available now for Steam, while Going Under is available for Steam, PlayStation 4, Switch, and Xbox One. And now, back to the main show. So, we've had two very different kind of movie releases in the last month or so. Uh, Disney are trialling their... Oh look, everything's included on our streaming service except for this, which you're now having to pay 30 quid for. And we've had Christopher Nolan's You've Got to See This in the Cinema. I'm not allowing it to be released on video on demand yet. Tenet movie, which is his latest big blockbuster movie. 
Um, original reports were saying that Mulan out-earned Tenet. I think that's changed now. The math, somebody redid the math on that and said Mulan's not earned as much as Tenet. But they both haven't performed very well in the current situation. And is the justification that Mulan's earned enough that it means that you don't have to release in the cinema anymore to earn cash? And I think it's going to have a big impact on the way that we watch movies in the future. I'd like to hear your gents' thoughts on that. And I think it's it's very interesting to see because I think this is very much Disney testing the water with this. I mean, especially with what I think is probably quite ridiculous pricing. Especially for a home release when you already paid your monthly subscription cost to repay again on top. Which is nearly three months or nearly what? Four or five months worth of cost for a movie premiere. For a 90 minute movie. It is a lot. Of additional cost. On top. I think they've probably earned enough. That it's probably been deemed a success. I think the, from what I saw. It was around about 10% of the US audience. Purchased it. Of Disney Plus. And it, it's, it's, it's not a movie. That's going to be marketed towards me. Particularly. It's definitely looking for more of a family kind of movie here. But yeah. And on top of that, you're paying for a sound experience that you're not going to get out of your home speakers. And a screen that's going to be 10 to 20 times your little TV at home.
Uh, I had, I think it was before, I think it was before Spider-Man Far From Home, there was a five-minute miniature preview trailer that they had, which was one of the, pretty much, they just lifted one of the scenes completely out of the movie and said, look, here's a film, and come and watch it. And I, it was great to watch, and it was beautiful cinematographically, but it's still not got a bloody clue what happened in it. <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> I think the problem with Christopher Nolan is he thinks he's a high concept sci-fi director. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's always from a very basic premise that he has. It's like Prestige. If you watch Prestige and you get the twist in Prestige, it's pretty straightforward quickly. Same with Memento. Same with Interstellar. And it's kind of like, you get the kind of vibe of a Christopher Nolan movie. There'll be a MacGuffin or magical twist that explains all the weirdness going on. I think I think the thing on yeah I think the thing on top of that with Mulan is this is a rental you, you're never getting a physical copy I mean I know Sky Store were doing a thing which is basically uh, rent the film through Sky and we'll send you the DVD when it releases yeah but they could have done that model with a Blu-ray and I think if Disney had said, right, something like it's 50 quid, but will it dispatch a 4K Blu-ray copy to you when that becomes available? And basically you're paying to watch the movie now, but you're getting a, blue, a physical item off the back of it for your collection. 
I would have stumped that a lot more than paying 30 quid for a one-off rental. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the Lion King has definitely been the most successful one out of them. I don't think Beauty and the Beast did as much as it expected. And I can't, there's only so much money you can earn from rehashing things over and over again. And I think this is an issue with cinema as well at the moment. And we, we moan about Tenant for being a Christopher Nolan thinky piece. But at the end of the day, it's still an original property in a in a world full of awash with sequels and prequels and continuations and chapters of stuff. And it's like every single movie, like all the MCU stuff we were talking about earlier, we've got a prequel. We've got one original movie with Shang-Chi, but it's still connected. It's still part of that same continuation of movies, same with the Eternals. And then it's going to be followed by three sequels back to back with Doctor Strange 2, Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel 2. Uh, again, Bill and Ted face the music, right? It feels like a new property because it's been that long, but it is still technically a sequel. Uh, John Wick 4, we've got coming out soon. It's been flagged as one of the big titles. It's now the fourth movie in a franchise. All these live action remakes. It feels like cinema is getting creatively dead, especially in the high con high expense movies. If it's if it's over a hundred million dollar budget now, it feels like Hollywood are just trying to play it safe all the time and just we know this has worked in the past. We'll do a live action remake, or we'll do a sequel, or we'll we'll bring back a property that we know we've sold well in the past. I mean, hmm. But even then, even then, are they getting more risk averse with their own properties? I mean, we've heard about the Avatar: The Last Airbender live action series that Netflix have heavily invested in. We've heard both creators have left that because there was too much meddling coming into this show from Netflix, and it it was basically taken away from their own vision. Are, are they getting infected with the same Hollywood risk averseness? I mean. 
Christopher Nolan, although not everybody likes his movies, he's seen as a safe bet in Hollywood, which allows him to do original stories. I mean, even if you look at Dune, which we're raving about with the trailer, that's not an original property as well. That's that's not an original movie. It's already been made once as a movie. It was almost made twice as a movie. It's a very well-known and well-received book. It's not an original property. Oh. Yeah. James Cameron movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've all been science fiction or fantasy based, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I say the same with Prestige, they were cult classic movies, weren't they? Oh, Amazon Prime is awful. They just bury everything under their originals, basically. I think in the current crisis, is it is it a case of it's familiarity, so it breeds content rather than contempt? And we're happy to see it because it's comforting to see another schedule in a franchise. And I don't think Bill and Ted Face the Music would have had anywhere near as much push or press or promotion in a kind of normal situation. I think just the fact it's a movie coming out and it's got Keanu Reeves, he's kind of at the nadir of his uh, popularity at the moment, is kind of something that cinemas have latched onto to try and push and it's like, oh look, we've got your high concept sci-fi movie, 
we've got New Mutants, and we've also got Bill and Ted. So they're all sci-fi movies, which comes back to our point of, is it all just sci-fi and superheroes at the minute? But they're all very three distinctly different sci-fi movies. One's a sci-fi comedy, one's a sci-fi horror, and one's a high-concept sci-fi movie. It, it's a cop yeah I'd say it's more comedy than sci-fi but it, it still has its sci-fi elements to it mm-hmm. is it is it a case of we're stuck in this genre again like you had the 80s where it was all fantasy movies for a little while is it a case of we're just stuck in sci-fi and superhero at the moment and we've got to wait for the next generation of movies to get something new I'd say that's a sci-fi movie franchise now. Pretty much. It's it's changed from a movie about a hijacking VCRs into a sci-fi car movie. Have you, have you seen some of the cars they've got in that? They're all science fictiony weird stuff now. It's it it's got Yeah, I was going to say, it, it's become the Ubisoft of the movie franchise, where every game is the same underlying mechanic. Every movie has sci-fi as the underlying mechanic now. <laughs> is it just a case of it's the movies I'm watching, or is that what we're being pushed? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think cinema as a format is going to survive, definitely. It might not be in the same kind of multiplex blockbuster every week, continuously for 52 weeks kind of format that we're used to, but I still think there's a definite, there's going to be a definite audience for cinema. And I don't think it's, I mean, even if you look at old formats coming back, like the resurgence in vinyl, there'll always be a hardcore audience that'll keep it over regardless of what time it is because they they love cinema and they love the way that the cinema is as an experience and I think having the casual audience come back might be a little bit longer in the tooth but I still think the definite core cinema audience will be back in soon I think we're going to get a different kind of movie going forward I don't think the one billion dollar blockbusters are going to continue in the current format for a long while and it's going to be a lot more fo- yeah a lot more focus on smaller movies mm-hmm. I mean especially as we've seen like the successful stuff this year has been the smaller kind of stories Umbrella Academy um, 
Mandalorian, the shows that have piqued the geek culture interest, have all been tightly scripted shows in a serialised format, rather than having to rely on the big tentpole blockbuster movie. Thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brummy podcast this issue. Uh, joining me today was Miss Keith Bloomfield. Miss Keith Bloomfield, do you want to tell us where you can find you online? The, the way you've said artfully posed makes me worry about this set, Keith. <laughs> Tasteful toy photography. <laughs> it's going to be a co- is it going to be a coffee book series? Thank you for joining us this issue, Lee. Where can we find you online and your various exploits? That. Thank you for joining us this week on this episode. Where can we find you and your exploits online? And there's an event going on at your workplace at the moment, which we need to give a plug for, mainly because it involves copious amounts of wine with a movie screening. Do you want to tell us a little bit more of that? 
I look forward to the with Nell and I drink along event, but I don't think they'll have enough wine in the building for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Only on weekends, Keith. You can find me uh, at Robbie Gormand at the moment. Bake Off is on, so I have another food program which I can throw copious amount of gifts at the internet whilst making snarky comments about. Uh, you can also find me at Ryan Parish, where it is a retweet feed of the Geeky Rummy Twitter feed as well. Uh, <laughs> basically, we, we're going to make sure that you get this content one way or another. I mean, it was good to see, actually, because my lovely friend Vicky Osgood uh, found out about the Sandman comic series off the back of one of my retweets. So it's useful to see. Keith's great content on a Wednesday. Uh, you can find us all at the Geeky Brummy website. And as we have mentioned multiple times on our Twitter at Geeky Brummy. And I will promise to actually start writing some stuff on there again. I've been really lax myself the next few weeks. Uh, I might start doing a tech roundup if there's interest in that. Silence, so yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I might make a little video or do a review on that one. Just to basically talk about the state of Android Wear versus the Apple integration with its latest Apple Watch series. Be interesting to see if Android Wear is actually getting somewhere with the next fall update. Uh, but otherwise, as you mentioned, Keith has his article every Wednesday covering off the latest in comic news. And Lee and Matt join forces like Voltron to talk about the latest in gaming and esports news. Uh... <laughs> I thought, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd go with Power Rangers, but Callan's not here for the reference. <laughs> Like two mighty gaming titans joining forces. Like Dragon Ball Z. Do you both bend over and touch fingertips? <laughs> yeah, Devastator Transformers, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us this episode. Don't forget to rate, review, share, even if it's negative feedback. It's all engagement. We just want we just want your clicks, baby. Just give us the clicks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It just makes us more powerful. <laughs> it's like... I thought everybody had gone off Raid Shadow Legends now. It was underwear for a while, which remember everybody being sponsored by underwear. Is it? Are we back to VPNs again yet in the sh in the uh, content rotation? <sighs> Thank you for joining us this week. Uh, we'll see you on the next show. But for now, bye everybody. <laughs> <laughs>